You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen. Well, good morning, uh, brothers and sisters. Good morning, Harvest Church family. So strange, to be honest, so awkward to be welcoming you and saying good morning without seeing you here. Uh, But this, is, I guess, is our new normal in our times, in this uh, unexpected season of uncertain times. And uh, let's be honest, this is is odd for all of us. We're all kind of figuring this whole thing out. Uh, My mind is still spinning, to be honest. Ten days ago, I had never heard of social distancing, uh, and now we're practicing it. And I think for uh, some of you, for introverts, you've been thinking, yeah, this is a great thing. I heard one introvert say to me this past week, man, I've been waiting for this my whole life. I've been preparing for this my whole life, and now it's here. This is fantastic. Uh, for us extroverts, it's killing us. It's killing us. And even preaching to an empty church seems like an oxymoron to me. Empty church. The church is God's people, and yet the church is empty. And so it feels really strange. And yet here we are, uh, really everything being stripped away, but God and his word today. So we're going to trust in that. I'm going to trust that God is speaking to us. But isn't this true that no matter how we look at this last few weeks, this season coming, this is affecting us all in so many different ways. It's affecting us all in so many different ways. Some of us just have general anxiety. We're like, God, what is going on in this fear of like, what is coming and what's the world gonna look like and are my, is my family gonna be safe? And all of us have some sense of underlying anxiety about the present reality that we all face. We've never been here before apart from even 9-11, but even since then, this is closer, it's more real. And some of us have this underlying anxiety that we just like, just not sure what to do with. Other of us have some deeper fears. We have... Um, Maybe some family and friends are in that vulnerable sector. Maybe you're in that vulnerable sector. Maybe, maybe uh, some of us here have uh, deep fear because we work in health settings or we've had loved ones come back from trips and are now in self-quarantine or uh, others in our church have loved ones being tested for coronavirus and uh, jobs aren't looking so secure as they were a couple weeks ago and our businesses, what's going to happen to them? There's some deep fears that are really setting into people's minds and hearts. And so the question is, not are we here, not how are we going to go through this? We are here. We're going through this, but how are we going to go through this pandemic in Christ? Are we going to be like the rest of the world? Are we going to run in fear and try and hoard all these things and control things that are out of our control? Are we going to stop? And are we going to trust in the reality of the God that we sing about, the God that we study about, the God that we pray to? Are we going to stop and trust the reality of God? Are we going to take God's advice from Psalm 46.10 and be still? Still our minds, quiet our hearts, and know and believe and truly internalize in our souls that he is God. That's the option God chooses for us as we walk through this season. March 22nd, 2020, God calls us to once again stop and be still and know that he is God. Go ahead and grab your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Isaiah chapter 46 where you will find Isaiah exhorting God's people to the very truth of God's character, love, and power as they also navigate through their own times of peril and uncertainty. God's people, don't forget, were no strangers to uncertain times. 
read the Old Testament. They walk through plagues. They walk through uh, oppression. They walk through uncertainty of not knowing where their next meal comes from. They're used to times of uncertainty. In fact, the book of Isaiah is written to uh, the Jewish people in Assyrian and Babylonian exile. They've been oppressed, and they're in this place, this season of, of, of being overwhelmed, and they're hopeless in some ways and uncertain, uh, asking questions like, God, will this ever end? First 39 chapters of Isaiah, God is reminding them, hey, you didn't get here by accident. It's your rebellion that put you in this place of exile. And so uh, don't look any further than yourselves. Part of the reason you're here is because of yourselves. Uh, but the second half of the book, chapters 40 to 66, are really God reminding them, though, even though you've turned your back on me, I will never turn my back on you. And I will, even in this time of, of peril and uncertainty, I will show you the reality of the truth that I am still your God. And so Isaiah really honestly is a book of hope and promise and assurance that God will ultimately come through for his people and we know that ultimate truth is shown to us in the reality of Jesus Christ. So chapters 40 to 55 are written specifically to the Jewish exiles in Babylon and it's so applicable to us today as we walk through this time, and as 1 Peter 2.11 tells us, as we walk through this life as sojourners and exiles in this foreign land, awaiting our ultimate hope of Jesus' return in our reunion with him in glory. And so let's look at Isaiah chapter 46. We're going to go through this pretty quickly. It's a whole chapter, but let's look at this. Some great messages from God. The whole theme of this is simply, I am God, there is no one like me. I am God, there is no other. First few verses of chapter 46, God reminds us of this. God reminds the Israelites, God reminds us of this. In times of uncertainty, my misplaced trust only adds to my burdens. In times of uncertainty, my misplaced trust only adds to my burdens. Listen to what it says in Psalm 46. Right away, the, the prophet Isaiah gets to idols here. The idols of Babylon and the one true God. And he says this in Psalm 46, verse 1. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. What's God trying to teach the people? What's God trying to teach us in this, in this, in this text here? Why does he go straight to idols? Because what he's trying to teach us is our natural human tendency in times of uncertainty is to grab onto anything other than God to be the sole hope and to put our trust in in our lives. And God reminds us, don't put your hope in anything but God. Here's the problem for the Jewish people. They were in this place where they were in Babylonian captivity and Nebo, or Bel and Nebo were Babylonian gods, some of the prominent gods of Babylon's time. Bel was another spelling for Baal, the, the Phoenician chief god of Babylon. Nebo was extensively worshipped in this culture as shown by some of the others in the, the time of their proper names being compounded from his like Nebuchadnezzar and, and Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar. And so these gods had long been worshipped in Babylon and the temptation was God's not coming through for for us, I'm also going to worship these gods. The Babylonians would tell the Israelite people that, that the reason you're in captivity is because our gods, Bel and Nebo, are stronger than your gods. And the people started to believe the reality that their God wasn't as strong as they thought he was. Yet God reminds them, don't be foolish. Don't put your hope in false things. Don't put your hope in other things because every idol will one day be toppled. This whole idea here of 
Baal and Nebo being carried away. God was initiating a plan to redeem Israel and, and, and rescue Israel from captivity by sending Cyrus, the king, Cyrus to capture Babylon. And when he did, he was going to topple all of Babylon's gods and the Israelites, the gods that they feared, the gods they put their hope in, were going to one day be carted away right before their eyes, rendering them absolutely loose, useless. God's telling them all hope in idols is empty. It's void. There's no, nothing there. In fact, all idols will one day be kindling. And they have no power to save you. I think in our context, we get this. We're like, of course, we don't put our hope in gods. Of course, we know our idols are going to be toppled. But let's be honest, in these times, it's not our temptation to put our hope in something other than God. Isn't it true that in these times we actually see our idols being exposed? Maybe idols we didn't even know were there, but they're being exposed to us. And God's reminding us that any idols we've placed before him ought to be ripped down out of our hearts so we can see the true reality of our God. Martin Luther said this, whatever your heart clings to and confides, it confides in, that is, the, that is really your God, your functional savior. Like investing in a scammer that promises to fill your bank portfolio only to discover that he has, in fact, cleaned you out. So idols are in our lives. And God's desire is to wipe out our idols. And I don't know about you, but this last few weeks, I've really seen the idols of my own heart be exposed by God. You have idols in your heart. You're our pastor. I have idols in my heart. Think about the, the things that we hold to closer than God sometimes for our security and our hope. Here's what I've watched the... Pandemic come down, I've watched people flailing because their idol of comfort is being ripped apart. Their idol of control, the facade of control that they thought they had, it's all of a sudden not there. And the cohesion that they so long for, the stability that, that we really revel in more than God is absolutely ripped out of our hands. And I've seen Christians even in this place of like, what do we do? What do we do? This pandemic, this pandemic, my, my, my comfort's gone, my control's gone, my cohesion is gone. Now what? I believe just like God was showing the Israelites the idols that they had don't matter. He's showing us the idols we have. There's no hope in putting stock in them. The idol of comfort. It's the North American plague, I think, greater than the coronavirus pandemic, the comfort that we have. And as long as we have our comfort, then we're happy with our lives and with our God, our nice little North American middle class or middle upper class living and all the peace we have in our country and no stress, no worries, this nice cozy life, all of a sudden to have our comfort ripped out and realize that, man, I was holding on to comfort more than I was holding on to God. You been there? Man, I see that out of my own heart. What about this one, the idol of control? We think, we think that somehow the facade of control, we, we, we control all things and my job is going pretty good and I'm working pretty hard and the income's steady and, and I'm looking after my kids well and I have all this control. I want to find out in the last 10 days, man, jobs aren't as steady as they used to be and, and my, my bank account's not as full as I thought it was gonna be 10 days later and all of a sudden I realize I have no control and I thought I had control and that was actually my idol and I trusted in my control over trusting, over trusting in God. What about the idol of stability? Get my satisfaction from knowing that, man, I can get anything at any time and it's at my fingertips. I want to understand now that the things I thought were so easy to come by maybe aren't so easy to come by. 
Maybe God's turned our lives upside down over the last few weeks just to expose some idols that we would truly cling to him. Maybe we've even loved God because of all the things he can give us, the comfort and control and cohesion he can give us instead of actually loving God for God. Maybe part of that is the point of this whole thing to really cause us to revival, to get off of anything else and get on to God. Because your idols actually absolutely can't save. They only add burden. How do idols add burden? Look what it says here. They stoop, they bed down. They cannot save the burden, but themselves add to the burden. They themselves go into captivity. Because anytime we put our hope in anything other than God, we realize that it's empty. We realize that all the investment is absolutely, it's zero, it's gone. And it adds to the burden of realizing we absolutely had nothing we thought we had. When you learn the fertility of your idols, you are left with nothing. Idols are powerless and actually leave us further away from the true power of God. Charles Spurgeon said this, nothing teaches us about the preciousness of the creator as much as when we learn the emptiness of everything else. Nothing teaches about the preciousness of the creator as much as we learn the the emptiness of everything else. Sometimes God allows our idols to be broken down because he loves us so much and he wants our full heart and our full affection and our full attention. That's God loving us. Maybe this whole season is God loving us. God jealous for us. God longing for all of us and nothing else. First point, well made by God. Second point is this. God promises to carry me through life's uncertainties. If God's gonna rip down our idols, the only reason he's gonna rip them down is to show us that that he is enough, that he will carry us through life's uncertainties. Look at verse three, it says this. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel. You have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age. I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and I will save. God promises to carry me through life's uncertainties to the nation of Israel. He's like, I know I've been in captivity a long time. I know it seems like there is no end, but listen to me now. Listen to me now. Isn't it true that when we get into these places of turmoil in our own lives, the hardest person we have to listen to is God himself? Remember when you were a kid and your mom would say, listen to me, and you wouldn't listen. She'd finally get in your face and say, listen to me. You stop and realize that all you're carrying on is that you just have to stop and listen to your mom. Remember in class, and your teacher would say, hey, listen up, and no one would listen. they hey, listen up! All of a sudden, everyone sit up straight. These days, when the premier, the prime minister, goes on a, a, a news update, what do we all do? We're all listening up. We're listening to everything, it seems, listening to everything. But, but how about listening to God in this season? How about listening to God in these uncertain times? God is saying to us, listen up. Don't tune in the news. Yeah, it's important to know. Don't worry about what anyone else says. Listen to God in this time. Listen to me in this time. Dial into me. And here's what he says to us. House of Jacob, one of the tribes of Israel, the remnant of the house of Israel that was in exile. There's only a few of them left that were remaining true to God. Only a few of them left that were actually gonna listen to this message from God. But it's like God's writing them a little note here with the, their name on the top and his little signature at the bottom. Remember when your mom, when you were a kid in your school lunchbox, would put a note in there to whoever. You pull out your sandwich, all your friends would be laughing to. To Daryl, I love you from mom. You kind of hide that note and put it in your pocket. Well, this is one of those notes that, that 
God in their uncertain times that I think they're, they're looking to rip open their lunchbox and get it out and be like, this, this is what my God says to me. This is what he reminds us of, reminds us people of. The fact that even though he might seem distant, the fact that it might seem out of control, the fact that it might seem like it's never gonna end to know this, that I am your God. Notice in verses three to four B, look at all the times God uses the first person pronoun to emphasize his personal involvement in delivering Israel. Circle, listen to me, he says. Who've been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he, I will bear, I have made, I will carry and will save. Think about this. Where is God in this time? Is God close? Is God aloof? Is God here? God born you. Yeah, your parents have something to do with it, but God born you. It says in Ephesians 1, from before the creation of the earth, God knows everything about you. He loves you intimately. He understands everything about you. He's determined your path of life, when you'd be saved, how you'd be saved. Absolutely everything about your life was known to you before you were even a thought of in your parents' mind. Even your name is ordained by God. God born you. It's this intimate relationship with you. My wife's mom often says to her, she's like, I born you, T. Ruth's nickname from childhood. Her way of saying, trust me. Like, I know best. I have something to say into your life. Don't brush me off. I born you. Ever think God's distant? He, he born you. Not only that, he carries you. See this? Even to your old age, I am he and the gray hairs, I will carry you. In other words, I didn't just born you, but from life to death, I will absolutely carry you and cover you. He's made you what you are. He knows the number of your days. He determined them before you're created. God is closer than a, a mother and greater oversight than a father. God has, has adopted Israel as his own nation. He's adopted us as his kids and he promises to carry us through the times where we're weak, through the times where we can't go on. He promises to carry us and he's strong enough to carry us. It's like my little four-year-old Nicholas, when it gets bedtime, that's his worst time of the day, bedtime. It's, it's catastrophe, it's bedtime. And most times he's like, I, I can't even get up to bed on my own. So what do I do? I walk down there, I get him on my shoulders and I carry him when he can't carry himself to the rest that he so desperately needs. That's what God does in our lives. If he has made you, he will carry you. Look what else it says here. He will bear you up. I will bear you up. Picture this, picture a soldier carrying another soldier after stepping on a landmine. Uh, can't get to one place. God bears us. He bears all of our weight in the seasons where we can't even stand up on our own. He doesn't just bear us. He also bears with us like he did in Israel, and all of our mistrust and all of our misgivings, God bears us. He bears our burdens. He bears our iniquities with Jesus Christ on the cross. He bears the full weight of our lives. There's never a season that he's not present, that he cannot bear us up under, including this one. Including this one. You don't think you're gonna make it. You're gonna make it. God determined your life. 
He's got you covered from start to finish. He bears you every step of the way. Why? Because he's your God. If you profess Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior today, this is your reality. He is your God. And he will never fail you. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 41, verses nine and 10. You are my servant. God says to his people, you're my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. This is not a time to think that God's cast us off or forgotten us. He's not. It says, fear not. 365 times in the Bible, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I'll strengthen you, I'll help you, I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. Here's the truth, brothers and sisters. God promises to see us to the other side of this pandemic. These verses aren't saying like some of the prosperity gospels and some of the faith healers say that, that this means God's gonna protect us from this and we're never as Christians ever gonna come into difficulty or struggle or illness. That's not saying this. God is saying that, this is saying that God will get us through this. He will watch over us and nothing can happen to us apart from God's good plan. Have you even noticed this? Have you noticed this over the last two weeks? Like all the faith healers are silent, haven't heard from them. They're not setting up their shop out there. They're closing their doors. The, the, the exposure of their folly is plain and clear. Because God never promised us immunity from diseases and sickness and the, the, and the sinful realities of this earth, but he's promised us as his children that as we live wisely, we know that our heavenly father is with us. He's actually walking us by the hand through these difficult times. Our job to reach up and grab his hand. Don't worry about stockpiling things in your cupboards to grab his hand. Not watching the news so closely, you gotta be up to date. The greatest thing is, is grabbing his hand that he will hold us and guide us and he promises to carry us all the way home. Hope is not in avoiding natural disasters and strange illnesses. In fact, the Bible tells us that these are gonna come faster and faster and more furious as the days get closer to Jesus. But our hope is in knowing this, that the Lord loves us and will walk us through from start to finish. I love the last verse of the book of Matthew. 28 verse 20, after all of Jesus' miracles, after all the examples of Jesus, after his resurrection, after his, his great commission, it says this, last words, the apostle recorded of Jesus Christ to finish the book were words to live by. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We don't have to fret. We don't know what's gonna happen but you don't have this assurance today that the world does not have. God has promised to be with us even to the end of the age, to the day we meet him. That is amazing, brothers and sisters. That gives us so much hope and assurance. Even in unprecedented and uncertain times. Here's the crux of the passage here, starting at verse five. Here's the crux of the passage, starting at verse five. God wants us to know this truth today. No matter where you sit, no matter where your head spaces at or where your heart's at, this is a truth that you can anchor your whole life to. There is no God like my God. There is absolutely no God like my God. Look at verses, look at verse five. You don't believe this is true, just get your eyes on God again. Get your eyes on the character of God, the reality of God, the fullness of God. Look what it says in verse five. Don't believe me? Well, to whom will you liken me and make my equal? and compare me that we may be alike. Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silvers on the scales hire a goldsmith and he makes it into, into a god. 
And then they fall down and worship. They lift, their, lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there. In other words, it has no power. It cannot move from this place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Transgressors, remember the former things of old. For I am God. This is the key of this whole passage. You can highlight this. You can underline this. You can circle this. Get your highlighters out, whatever you got to do. But remember this. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. The one who declares the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning, in the ancient times, things that are yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, the sovereignty of God calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, I'll bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off and my salvation will not delay. I will put my salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. In the midst of everything, in the midst of everything, here's, here's what God longs for us the most. In the midst of all the things that are happening in your lives, all the things that are happening in your families, all the things that are happening around the world, here's what God longs for the most from his people, to fix our eyes back on God and to keep them there and to strive and to strain to see God even in the cloudiness of this time. Here's some things about God that he points out for us that show that he is incomparable to anybody and anything else. Now, there is only one God of the universe. It's our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. This is our God. There's many small G gods out in the world. Fake gods, frivolous gods, false gods. There's only one big G God, God himself. So many experts with degrees, men and women with power. People, we think we should put the stock in what they say. There's only one God, it's God, and he's the one whom all of our stock should be put. To whom will you liken me, he says. We've heard the term of goat so often in the media today, the greatest of all time. Apparently Tom Brady's the goat of quarterbacks, the greatest of all time. And you got the musicians who are the greatest of all time and authors, the greatest of all time and, and politicians, the greatest of all time and army commanders, the greatest of all time. There's only one greatest of all time, God himself. To whom, you can, to whom can you compare the greatness of God? There's no analogies to compare God to anything. There's no words to really describe him. We use the words like awesome, sort of, but it doesn't capture it. Majestic and glorious, and yet those words seem so futile to capture the magnificence of our God. This is the truth. There is only one God of the universe. There's no one like him. He is the one true God, it says in John 17, 3. He's full of glory and grace and truth, John 1, 14. He is sovereign. He is self-existent. He's the creator. He's eternal. He's powerful. His presence is, is everywhere at all times, and it's personal. He's unchanging. His kingdom has has no end. This world has millions of little g-gods. There's only one in the Bible. And he is ours. And we are his. He's the only one worthy of worship. Notice how it says here that so many people bow and worship. So many people bow and worship. 
They make their gold from the purse. They come, they fall down and worship. And, and what's that? It's empty. It's futile. There's only one worthy of worship. The word worship comes from this idea of worthship. There's only one that is worthy to be worshiped. It's God himself. It's his son, Jesus Christ, which is so evident through his word. Are we tempted to put our worship in a lot of things in this world? We worship our sports figures. We worship our musicians. We worship our politicians, the same people that we think are the greatest of all time. We worship our bank accounts. We worship our security and our comfort and our control. We worship our family and our friends. Some of us have put them over everybody else in this unusual season. And any, any other person or thing we worship, it comes out empty. It leaves us feeling like something's missing, like we're not fulfilled, like it's not quite in equilibrium yet because the only one we're to worship is God alone. Listen to Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 11. It says this, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb and all the angels in that glorious choir in heaven, all the angels are standing around the throne and the elders and four living creatures that are falling on their faces before the throne and they're worshiping God saying this, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. You know what antidote this morning for fear in your life and anxiety and uncertainty? Get on your knees and start worshiping again. Get on your knees and lift your eyes to the heavens to worship God. There's so much to be thankful for. There's so much to praise God for. How about your own little families this afternoon? Instead of taking, taking off from this sermon and going doing your own thing, how about taking a, a little worship time to worship God? He's the only one worthy of worship. Get this also. He's the only one with the power to change things. Notice again how Isaiah is dissing on idols. He's the idol crusher. Isaiah is the idol crusher. Through his whole book, all he's doing is he's slamming idols. He's smashing idols. He's tearing them down. He's exposing them. Why? Because idols have no power. He reminds us of this. Idols, it says here, idols are built from human hands. They are put on scales. They they're set in place, they stand there, they cannot move. Basically what he's telling us is idols are dependent on their creators. They're incapable of any power or any change. And pagans are in this day hired craftsmen to make their heavy gods out of precious metal. They carried them to their resting place and they just stood there, they couldn't move. Compare that to the God of the universe who's the uncreated one who's always been and always will be. In fact, the God of the universe is, is the creator of all things. He's not created. He is the creator of all things. He spoke the universe into existence. He created you and I, man, from dust. And he created woman out of the rib of man and created a beautiful, glorious thing out of, in, in women and in all of our splendor were the greatest of his creation, yet he created everything else. He is the, not just the creator, he's the glue that holds the universe together. You're not sure about the power of God? Just take a step outside your door this evening and look at the stars and be amazed at the vastness of who God is. Think of all God's wondrous works in the Old Testament, the, the, the plagues that he orchestrated to, to 
call out the evil, the deliverance he gave his people from the plagues, from everybody who was chasing them and oppressing them. Think of the power of God to part the Red Sea. Think of the power of God to, to shut the lion's mouths. Think of the power of God in the Old Testament. Think of the power of God in the New Testament who, who showed up in human form in Jesus Christ and all the miracles we've been studying in Mark. The power of God. Think of how God empowered his church through 12 regular guys called disciples, how he empowered his church, how the church is still thriving today because of the power of God. And think of this, how God causes the earth to tremble. He moves mountains, he quiets storms, he heals the sick. God is all powerful. He can change anything. Not only is all powerful, the counter to this is where it's telling us that if one cries to, he does not answer. He's telling us that God is the only one to hear my cries. Countering the idols that you're calling out to them, they're not going to hear you, they're not going to do anything. And counter this with the reality of our God, he actually hears our cries. Those little sobs of fear at night, he hears them. The call out to God, God rescue, he hears those. The, the, every time we call, God hears like a newborn, like a mother, attentive mother to a newborn baby, hears the cries of her baby, so God attends the cries of his children. Like a 911 operator that never misses a call, that is our God, he hears. He's not deaf, he doesn't have selective hearing as we do sometimes. Never on a coffee break, he hears us. And he understands, he gets it. Remember, Jesus is God himself who came to live among us that he might fully understand us. There's nothing that you're going through in your mind and heart right now that when you call to God, he doesn't look at you with a funny look, he doesn't shrug you off. He actually, you can see compassion in his eyes. He fully gets where we are. Being there, done that. Not one thought or one emotion or one word of yours escapes God. Psalm 77, verse 1, I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God, it says twice, and he will hear me. 1 Peter 3, 12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. Brothers and sisters, don't stop crying out to God in times of uncertainty. This is a time to call out even more. Pray for those in government control. Pray for doctors and nurses. Pray that the, the, the pandemic wouldn't hit your loved ones. Pray that God would see in his mercy to stop this thing. Don't stop praying. Now's the time to call out more than ever. God is still attentive to every one of our prayers. He hears and he doesn't just hear. He knows what to do about our calamities. Look what comes next. Look what comes next. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble, but God does. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, your transgressors. Remember the former things of old. We're gonna come back to that. Forget this. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Sovereign, declaring the end from the beginning in the ancient times that are not yet. In other words, God is, God is, is sovereign. He's in control over everything of the universe. He he. He stands outside of time, yet he operates within time, and he's declared from before the beginning what the end is going to be like. That is God and all of his power and all of his splendor and all of his control. And even this, his counsel shall stand, and he will accomplish his purpose. Notice he is the only one with all wisdom. Look at the counsel of God here. Isn't it true that we spend our days these days trying to find the latest news and 
what's going to be next and what am I supposed to do and how am I supposed to do it and, and you got to find the latest updates everywhere but what about this, just stopping for a minute and those things aren't bad but stopping. How about going to the wisdom of God first? God, how can I navigate through this in a healthy way, in a way that brings you glory, in a way that brings me peace? The only updates we need these days are the update of a renewed wisdom from the word of God. He's the grand designer. In his wisdom, he knew all this was going to happen. None of this has caught him off guard. He knows the beginning from the end and what to do in between all of that. Basically what he's saying here is, my counsel shall stand and not the powers of hell or the powers of heaven can control or counteract God's plans and purposes. His wisdom will prevail. It's not a question. He knows what he is doing in all of his glory. So the next one is he's the one who controls all things. He's the one who controls all things. One commentator uh, said this of the verses here in um, this passage. They said this. As God's operations are all according to his counsel, so his counsel shall all be fulfilled in his operations. As God's operations are all according to his counsel, so his counsel shall all be fulfilled in his operations, and none of his measures shall be broken, none of his designs shall miscarry ever. See what it says here? I will accomplish my purpose. You have to believe with me, brothers and sisters, that even in this, God has a purpose. Even in this, God has a good purpose for his glory and our good, and he will accomplish it. We don't have to look at the world like it's falling apart. We have to look at it like there is no hope. There is hope. God is, is in complete control. God governs this universe like my kids play in the sandbox. Nothing happens apart from his power and his control. God is somehow in this. He's drawing, I pray, people to himself. He's drawing us into a greater revelation of his. But know this, that God's purposes will prevail in this. Psalm 47 says this about the sovereignty, the power and control of our God. For the Lord, the most high, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. We don't have to look to Trudeau or Trump or anyone else. The great king over the, all the earth is our God. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. For the, verse 7, for God is the God who reigns over the nations and God sits on his holy throne. Even in this, God is sitting on his holy throne. Job 42.2 says this, no plans of the Lord can be thwarted. What are his plans in this? I have no idea, to be honest, but I do know that his primary plan is that people come to know him as Lord and Savior and that we be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And if that's all he's doing through these things around the world and, and unbelievers draw them to himself and believers to get them to a place where they're fully devoted to him, then he wins and we win. Be assured of this. Be assured of this that God will do what pleases him. And even in this, he will redeem this for his glory. Look at the last one. Look at the last one. He's also the only one that can save me. He's also the only one that can save me. I have spoken, I'll bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Going back to the sovereignty and the power and the control of God. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart. Israelites were stubborn of heart. Sometimes we're stubborn of heart because we know this. We just don't want to choose to believe it. We, 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 we love our fear sometimes, I think, instead of just putting our trust in God. We're too stubborn sometimes. 
you who are far from righteousness, I bring my righteousness close. It is not far off. And my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, for my glory. God also is the only one that can save us. In these times, we put our hope not in doctors, not in governments. We put our hope in God. He's the only one that can save us. He's the only one that can save us spiritually. He's the only one that can save us physically. God is the ultimate Savior of all things, most predominantly through His Son, Jesus Christ. Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be sure, by, I shall not be greatly shaken. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Maybe for some of you watching this, this, is, this morning, you're here and you've heard about God your whole life and, and this pandemic has caused you to think more th- more thoughts of God, and you're starting to wonder, is God your God? Are you God's? You know, the ultimate purpose of this maybe is just to help you. The reason you're watching this today for sure is that you would see God, that you'd know his rescue in his son, Jesus. Jesus, his son, died for you on the cross. He came from heaven to earth to live the life, the perfect life you couldn't live, to die the death you should have died. And, and you're here right now in the midst of your chaos, in the midst of uncertainty, looking for something, looking for something. God has told you clearly today, you're looking for him. And he beckons you to come and humble yourself and ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. I repent of my sin. I repent of rebelling and doing things my way. I need and I want Jesus today. I want God to be my God. I want to be God's. I want to have the hope that God offers that you've just been preaching about. This is the time of salvation for many today. Maybe it's you. Maybe this is the prayer you need to pray right now. Maybe you've prayed that prayer and you're still trying to put all your hope in other things. God reminds you, God reminds you again today that your hope is only in Him. Your hope is only in Him. Your hope is only in Him. Only God can save you spiritually. Only God can save us physically. So what do we do again this morning? We put our trust in God. We put our trust in God. For I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is no other like me. So studying this and all the things about God that set God apart, I couldn't help but have to include this. To have to include this at the end of this point, it's, it's simply this, the names of God. I am God, there is no other. In, in these times, brothers and sisters, let's not stop and forget who God is and, and what God's about and, and the power of God. Look at some of the names of God just to, just to drive this point home, to drive this point home. You can put your hope in God. Look at some of the names of God here on the screen. Let me tell you uh, what they are. I'll just be going this way, down across and across. Here's what they mean. Adonai means the Lord, my great God. Elohim, the all-powerful creator, uh, the God who sees me, the all-sufficient one, the God of the mountains, God Almighty is El Shaddai. God with us, I am. I am the one who is the self-existent one, is Jehovah, the Lord who heals, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my righteousness. Yahweh, I am the one who is the self-existent one. This is where our hope comes. So how do we respond to this message? It's very simple. It's very simple. Lift your eyes to God this morning. Lift your eyes to God. Lift your eyes to God. He is 
real, he's alive, he's in our lives, he's in our world, and he wants to be ever close to you. Lift your eyes to God. Here's where I skip back. Here's where I skip back to verse eight. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. In these uncommon times of uncertainty, here's where we leave this morning, remembering God. Now's not a time to forget God. Now's not a time to leave our faith behind. Now's a time to dive in evermore. Look to God. Remember God. He's calling the Israelites to remember the miraculous deliverances that he's shown them and to remember his providential blessings that he's given to his people. He's calling us to remember the, the, how he's been so faithful in the past, how he's delivered us, and how he's gonna be faithful in the future and all the blessings he's given us. Remember God. Look to God again this morning. Over and over, look to God. Don't just give him a quick look like you do in your rearview mirror as you're driving your car. Like, like, look out of the window and just get your eyes on God. Feast your eyes on the glory and the beauty of God today. And you'll find the things of earth growing strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Look to God. Stand firm. Be rooted in him. Think of the big oak tree in Psalm chapter one, the big tree planted by the waters and Plant your roots deep in God. Get the word open, brothers and sisters, every single day. We've given you little devotional updates every couple of days, but get the word open for yourself and, and study the word. Let the, let the word seep into your soul, that your soul be planted firmly in the truth of God. Pray like you've never prayed before. You can be strong in this time. You can be firm. You can be like the tree planted by the brook as you lap up the reality of God and stand firm in him in your own heart through his word and through prayer and through interacting with other believers online through it our groups. Root yourself in God. Stand firm. You can stand firm and you will stand firm with God. And then simply this, know, your, know his greatness. Don't forget to know the greatness of our God. Where do we look in unprecedented, uncertain times? We look no further than God. I know it's pretty simple. I know you've heard it before. I don't know about you though. I know about me that it is in these times I need these reminders more often than not. I need to remind you of the truths that there is no, the truth that there is no one like my God. And my God will win, and my God will prevail, and my God will always reign supreme. Let me pray as the worship team comes. Father, I thank you this morning for the opportunity to open your word. God, we gather here as people needing a reminder of the reality of who you are. Father, I pray that as I've preached today, as we've worshiped today, I pray that your Holy Spirit will do in our hearts what you need to do. God, would you allow fear to, to dissipate? Would you allow faith to come in? Father, would you allow anxiety to be gone? Would you allow trust to take its place? Father, would we not try to control anything any longer, God, but would we give you control of our lives? Father, would we not strive for our comfort? May we strive to find our lives in you where our comfort is found. Ultimately, God, I pray that today as we leave and go back throughout our days, we'd do so with the overwhelming reality that you are ours and we are yours. Thank you for being our God. In Jesus' name, amen.